What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Made to Win podcast. I am your host, Brandon Petty, and uh, man, season two, we're here, and uh, we're a few episodes in now, and uh, this whole season has been dedicated to um, this idea of an awakening. You know, if you're new to the podcast, um, on this podcast, we talk about soul health. You know, we talk about how we are made to win, but real victory comes from within. You know, I think a lot of people in our culture today aren't winning mentally. We talk about mental health, talk about emotional health, spiritual health. And uh, that's what I want to, that's what I want to focus on. It's a passion of mine, helping you win from within. And uh, so we've been in this season, every single Tuesday, new episode comes out. And so that's something I've been really, really pumped about is that every week we're having new content, fresh content. And, uh, and we've got our first guest of season two coming up. Actually, I'm recording that episode tomorrow, but you guys will hear it later. But I'm really pumped about that one. Excited about the guests that we've got coming on the show this season. But we started this whole um this whole podcast just to really encourage people, give insight, help you win uh, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And so I hope that's helped you. If it's helped you, man, tell somebody about the podcast and go like, uh, of course we're on YouTube, Spotify, uh, iTunes on YouTube. You go, go like the page, um, make sure that you subscribe, like the videos, share, and then of course on Spotify and iTunes. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you can get updates every time a new episode comes out. And then if these episodes help you, please help me get the word out. I want to thank you guys because we've had an incredible response um, for season two so far. Uh, the first week was probably one of our best um, weeks, uh, especially just rolling out something that something new. Um, for a new season is it was incredible. So thank you guys so much for the love. Thank you for sharing, man. It's been cool. Uh, over the summer, I got to meet so many people even across the country who tune in to the podcast and um, tell me how much it's, it's meant to them, help them. So if that's true, don't forget to also go to um, madetowinpodcast.com. Leave me a comment, question. Um, if you're on Apple, iTunes, whatever, leave a review, do something just to help me out, get the word out so that more people can get um, exposure to this podcast and um, we can encourage more people. You can help me encourage others. Help me help you, right? So it is an important week here at the Made to Win podcast. And the reason why it's an important week because it is Bama Hate Week. That's right, Bama Hate Week. So you're probably listening to this after Bama Hate Week, but hopefully... You are in the future, and the Vols have already won. If not, disregard this message. <laughs> but um, as you guys know, man, I'm a huge Tennessee Vols fan. I'm pumped that we are in the top ten, and we have our toughest matchup, uh, one of our biggest rivalries, of course. The dark side, um, the Darth Vader of college football, Alabama. And so I'm hoping that this Saturday – we knock out their tooth. That's right. Tooth, singular, one tooth, whole state of Alabama. Don't care. But if you're listening from Alabama, thank you so much. And I hope that you're not an Alabama fan. But, um, no, I, I am, I'm pumped. hope you guys, if you guys like college football, let me know who your favorite team is. But, um, so on this week's episode, 
I I want to kind of build on this conversation we've been having the last few weeks about um, deep transformation that needs to happen in our lives. You know, if you listen to the first episode, we talked about this idea of having an awakening to our real discipleship and transformation to Jesus. You know, if you're new to the podcast, this is a very gospel um, Christian based podcast um, diving into spiritual health, emotional health, all that kind of stuff. And um, today I want to talk about something that I think is super important, especially in our current context of culture where relationships seem to be harder than they've ever been. Especially when you talk about conflict, tension. I mean, if you're listening to the show, I'm sure you can attest to whether it's your own family, whether it's a marriage, whether it's relationships in the church, outside the church, relationships are hard. And uh, it seems like now more than ever, too, the anxiety, the tension and conflict within relationships is worse than it's ever been. I think a lot of it is tied back to, obviously, technology, social media. Now we have so many keyboard warriors. People can actually attack other people without being in the room with them. People can be uh, passive-aggressive, share opinions, thoughts, without ever really caring for an individual or dealing with an individual. And I think that has kind of really made the problem worse. I think relationships in general are hard enough without social media, without um, technology, without just this opportunity for us to be in a room. We can actually be alone and yet create conflict and tension in relationships with other people. And so all of us are triggered um, when it comes to relationships And uh, I think most of us don't realize that you are actually, when it comes to relationships, whether it's relationships within the church, whether it's your family, because some of you, if you're listening right now, you know that there are certain areas of your life where relationships are filled with conflict and filled with tension. And the reason why is because we are unaware that we are actually in what's called living systems. They are systems that are alive in our life. And I'm going to explain that and talk about that for a moment. So how do these living systems create anxiety, create tension, create conflict? I think now more than ever, reconciliation, restoration, it's, it's such a difficult thing to do in our culture because of cancel culture. I mean, we are being judged by a culture, by the way, that doesn't have any kind of moral or standards, but they're the ones telling you that if you mess up, you say something wrong, then you are immediately disregarded, you're canceled, which means no one, you don't have the right to say anything or be recognized or have success or even have a chance at forgiveness and restoration. I think this is a problem in the church. I think one of the greatest problems facing the church today is we do not properly restore people. And I think we have fallen into the trap to become more like culture in the sense of you get canceled pretty quickly. And um, I understand that there is a time when uh, discipline in the church, especially for pastors, leaders, when that is necessary. But I think the question that that I have really been wrestling with lately is, how is the church taking steps to restore people, forgive people? And um, I think that's true in a lot of our relationships. It is so much easier 
just to cancel the relationship, walk away from the relationship than it is to actually restore and reconcile, which is really opposite of the gospel. I mean, even the Apostle Paul tells us that we have this message of reconciliation. The whole gospel is about reconciliation. It's about that you and I were separated from God in our sin, and God made a way through his son Jesus for us to be restored to right relationship with God the Father. And that's why Paul tells us in Colossians to work hard at living in peace with others, to be peacemakers, to, to work to do everything within our power to strive for living in peace. Um, and this is a major problem. Uh, when you start talking about problems in the church or tension in the church, conflict in the church, when you put together a lot of people from different backgrounds, different baggage, different brokenness, different trauma, you put all these people in the same room trying to accomplish one person. How many of you guys know that creates a lot of different variables for tension to arise? I mean, I think about the 12 disciples. Jesus was brilliant at putting together a, a ragtag group of people who were from different backgrounds. You think about it. You had Simon the Zealot, who was anybody who it was a very um, aggressive group of people who attacked Roman officials. They were very anti-government. They believed they were trying to obviously serve the people of Israel, and they were trying to, you know, they were just anti-Rome and everything they did. And then, oh, by the way, he's also side-by-side side by a man named Matthew who was a Roman tax collector. Now imagine putting all these guys from different backgrounds. You had fishermen. You had tax collectors. You had just these different backgrounds of people that Jesus says, I'm going to put you together to accomplish a mission and start this thing called the local church. That's incredible. I think that's what's beautiful about the gospel is that regardless of race, background, age, ethnicity, all those things, the thing that unites us is the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that puts us together in communion and community for the gospel. But it also creates problems. We have this culture that just doesn't know how to nurture and navigate through difficult relationships to see it to fruition, to be healthy, pure, and reconciled. We'd rather just cancel it. We'd rather walk away. We'd rather change, start over. Because in our minds, it's easier to start over than it is to work through things even though we are just compiling bitterness and problems emotionally. Again, this podcast is about winning from within, not just without. You might be winning on the outside. You're not dealing with any hard things. You're not having to deal with that conflict or work through it. But inside, you are just stacking up bitterness and unforgiveness and issues and, and constant um, emotional, mental issues that you're holding on to because of conflict or tension. So here's something I really want you to get. Your soul cannot be healthy. Your soul cannot be healthy if your relationships are unhealthy. And that, that is something I think sometimes when we t think about our faith and we think about our discipleship to Jesus, it's like, man, yeah, me and Jesus are good. I just don't like the people. Or people say, man, I, I, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. Well, that's, that's still anti-gospel. It's not biblical. I think there's a level that says that we think that our vertical relationship trumps our horizontal relationship. But everything through Scripture tells us that our vertical relationship is dependent on our horizontal relationships. 
that how we treat the people around us, how we interact, how we navigate forgiveness, how we navigate reconciliation, how we navigate love and understanding and compromise and serving and all those things, those things actually dictate our vertical relationship. Our faith is affected by it. Our relationship with God is affected by it. In fact, so much so that in, in one parable, Jesus is like, if you are going to the altar to make a sacrifice unto God, if you're going to bring your offering, if you're going to bring your worship, and by the way, in the back of your mind, you remember that Bill, whatever his name is down the road, has a problem with you, and he is offended by you, or he is hurt by you, or he's got something against you. He says to leave your gift there. In other words, stop your worship, go make things right, and then come back and worship. Now, I don't know about you, but that tells me that relationships matter in your relationship with God. So you cannot be healthy in your soul and be unhealthy and your relationships. I want you to get that first and foremost. So remember, we've been talking about this idea of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is your formation to Christ-likeness for God's glory, your abundant living, and your joy, and for the benefit of others. Your faith is not private. Your faith does not just affect you. It affects everybody around you. And that's why an untransformed soul will always lead to conflict relationally. Because the healthier your soul, the healthier your relationships. Because now, just like Colossians 3 tells us, I don't get easily offended. I actually make allowance for people's faults. That's what Colossians 3 tells us, to make an allowance, make room for people to fail you because it's going to happen. And it says to forgive them. It says to remember, Paul says it like this, remember the Lord Jesus forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's powerful, right? And we quote stuff like that. We say stuff like that. But in all honesty, when it comes time to practice it, because our souls aren't healthy and because we are not where we need to be emotionally and mentally and spiritually, we have problems relation, relationally and we get triggered and we just, we, we either get angry, we um, isolate, we ignore, we have all of these issues that we have relationally, and but we think that we're good with God, and you're not. And so what is a living system? Maybe, maybe we started this conversation, you're like, I don't even understand what a living system is. It's really simple. Here's, a, here's the definition of a living system. Relationships that are emotionally wired together. I'm going to say that again. A living system is, is relationships that are emotionally wired wired together you can be emotionally wired in a relationship even with people you don't like for instance you might have family that every thanksgiving you're like man when i get around them i get super frustrated i get anxious i get whatever uneasy that is an emotional wiring that when you are around a certain group of people something happens when conflict and tension arises that it does something to you emotionally it's the people that are like, man, I don't like these people. I don't, I'm not friends with them. But when you get around them, and even some of the people that you're friends with, when you get around them, there's something that emotionally wires you to those people. And you actually start um, behaving or reacting um, based on this system. And you're reacting out of an emotion. I, I like to use this example. If you've ever looked up in the sky and seen like what seemed to be like hundreds of birds, and it's crazy. If you ever watch them, 
it's like they are all flying together, connected. And I mean, they'll take like sharp turns and they're like zipping through the sky and they're all just on a dime change directions because they are all connected. God actually created them to stay connected in a way that's actually for their survival. It's how they ward off predators. It's how they survive together in the sky. That's pretty crazy, right? Our entire lives are built the same way. We are wired together with our family. We are wired together with the community of people we do life with. And that's why even in every other part of creation, anything that is isolated gets killed. You think about any kind of animal, like the the one thing that predators will do is isolate an animal because he knows alone you are much weaker than you are together. And so what we do is we discount the strength we have by being wired together in emotionally healthiness, by the way, and how that is that it, that benefits our survival mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And in the same vein, how being isolated or being connected emotionally in an unhealthy way with a group of people how that actually leads to our detriment and our death spiritually. I hope you guys are getting this because this is important to understand that we were created with a specific wiring to relationship. We were not created to do life alone. And so that the health of our relationships matter in our spiritual maturity. They do. They are vital. In fact, your connection is vital for survival. And so we don't possess that same level of awareness that birds do. That's not how we were created, but we are wired together in emotional systems. Um, It's like an emotional force field or gravitational pull. You ever thought to yourself like, man, I feel good. Like, um, I I mean, especially teenagers, you you see this a lot with teenagers where if they're in a certain environment that's healthy, man, they're thriving, they're good. But it's like the moment you could place them in a room for 10 minutes with a certain crowd that there is this emotional pull or this gravitational pull to to emotionally change who they are to be like everybody else. It just, it's just a reminder. We are emotionally wired and tied. It's, it's why you can go to a, a ball game and not know anybody around you, but consider them your best friends if they're cheering for the same team you are, right? You're emotionally wired together for a common purpose. And that's how our lives either exist and thrive or they fail miserably and um, we become emotionally unhealthy and mentally unhealthy. And so here's how you know when that force arises and you can feel the living system. This is when you can feel the living system is every time anxiety or conflict arises. And here's the thing. When that happens, you almost become predictable every time. You ever know somebody that, man, all it takes is one thing to trigger them and they become predictable. They're going to do the same thing, say the same thing. They're either going to give you the silent treatment. They're going to be very passive aggressive. They're just going to ignore you. They're going to stop answering your text messages. They're not going to answer your calls. Um, there's, There's those predictable behaviors whenever tension and conflict arises. Maybe it's just to, you know, have false peace. We talked a little bit about that um, on a previous podcast, how like some people prefer false peace instead of, real peace because real peace is hard to work for. And so we're just like, man, 
whatever it takes to please you so that so that I I don't rock the boat. I don't want you to be upset with me. I want to make sure you like me. And so we will actually make ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually unhealthy at the sake of false peace. It's a it's a instant reaction that you have to anxiety and conflict in relationship. It's why women stay in battered relationships. Like there is a common behavior that they are emotionally wired that when anger, resentment, conflict, tension arises, their reaction is to emotionally become immature and say, I need to do whatever I can to not make this conflict happen. Instead of dealing with it in a, in a healthy way, getting it resolved or, or getting out of it, we just tend to have an idea that we're going to create this false peace so that they'll no longer be mad at me. That is a sign of emotional immaturity because that person cannot be their full self. They have to be somebody else in order for the situation to get better. This is a, an example or an idea of how these living systems affect us. It's the reason why some people hate conflict, right? They're just like, man, I can't, I don't want, I, my heart gets to beating, my pulse gets to racing every time somebody's upset, if somebody gets angry. And these are signs that you have an emotional maturity problem. I'm not calling you immature. I'm just saying that you might have a problem in these living systems. We're going to talk about it because some of it is very helpful and some of, some of it is destructive. So when anxiety rises in these situations relationally, we become very reactive. That is what happens. Our thinking becomes reactive instead of clear. You can't even think clear because you're too busy trying to react. You ever see people that maybe respond by lying? Like they, they don't even think about what they're saying. They're just like, oh, no, 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 I didn't do that. I didn't do it. It's like they, they're not thinking clear. They're just reacting to the situation. That's where that's when you can see these living systems coming to life. And I hope these examples are making sense to you. So withdrawal, you see people that withdrawal. Um, engage with conflict, blame, avoid responsibility, seeing ourselves as victims, assigning motives to others. You take things very personally. These are all signs that you are very reactive in your thinking instead of thinking clear. It's, it's what we call, you'd like to draw thought bubbles above people, Right. Like it's, it's fresh. Like I've seen, I've talked to people that's like, man, what happened? I haven't seen you in a while. Well, I thought you were mad at me. Why did you think I was mad? Well, I walked by you and you didn't say anything to me. And so I just assume you don't like me anymore. Like that seems like an extreme example, but we all know people like that. That all it takes is one little thing to trigger them in their emotional immaturity. And all you did was like, you were, you you just thinking about, I've, I pass people on the road all the time. And uh, when I drive, I'm I'm usually somewhere else. I know this is scary, right? But like my mind is either fixated on what I'm listening to on the radio, whether it's worship music or sports talk radio, um, or I'm just thinking about where I'm headed. I'm think like I don't think about what I'm looking at. I mean, you can ask my wife. We'll drive by somewhere that we've driven by for the last ten years, and I'll see a new house, or I'll see something. I was like, has that always been there? And she's like, yeah, it's always been there. I'm like, huh, I didn't see that. And there will be people that's like, man, every time I drive by, past you, I wave, and you don't wave back. And those people form thought bubbles, and they assume I must not like them. I must not be a welcoming, friendly person. 
And that is how these living systems affect us. We start assuming the worst out of it. We assign motives. You, this happened, so your motive was to hurt me. How many of you know sometimes we get hurt by people's actions, but that wasn't their motive? But we assign a motive to them. You meant to destroy me. You meant to hurt me. You meant to make me feel this way. That is signs that we have some trigger issues. So, um, just know this, and, and if you're one of those people who like to take notes, this is a very important deal to write down. The least mature end up gaining the most attention. The least mature end up gaining the most attention. Think about your kids. I got multiple kids. I got three kids. I'm going to tell you something. I've got 16, 13, 7. My seven-year-old, I mean, even to the point, if you've had older kids, they might even say things to you parents like this. They say, well, you are always spending time with, you know, little JoJo. You're always spending time with, you know, the, the youngest one. You're always focused on them. You're always – and the reason why is because they're the least mature in the room. They're the ones that require the most attention. It's not that you're trying to ignore the other people. They're just the loudest. They're the whiniest. They're the most needy. Um, that's what happens when you aren't very mature. You are whiny, you are needy, you are the victim, you are the loudest. Uh, we said this in a sermon recently that, man, the, the loudest place in the swimming pool is the shallow end. It's where all the, the kids are. It's where all the flotation devices are, right? Like that is where the, the least mature gets the most attention. So we all feel that tug, when we get into these situations and it affects our behavior, it affects our response. And so whenever a problem in a living system is chronic, um, like if it's a chronic issue that you are experiencing, just about everybody plays a role in keeping it going. Let's use a family dynamic, for example. Um, let's say it, it, I always tell, I try to tell dads and men especially that you are the emotional thermostat of your home. How you come home will probably dictate the temperature of the house, especially men. You know, you, maybe you've even heard the thing of like, you wait till your dad gets home, right? Like always like, wait a minute, what's that supposed to mean? Um, my wife said to her, because like, you got to quit saying that to the kids because like when I come home now, now it's like they're, they're dreading me coming home. Like, I don't need them to dread me coming home. I want them to be happy that I'm home. Um, but what, what I'm trying to say is, is like, if there's a certain person that you know, man, they're always going to be upset. They're going to play that victim. They're going to have one of those reactions. Everybody actually plays suit to that emotional immaturity. You can see it nine times out of ten in a room where if there's a person in the room that you know, oh, man, so-and-so's here. And they are easily offended. They are easily hurt. They're going to get mad really easily. Everybody in the room will change how they speak, how they talk, how authentic they are. Why? Because they are trying to control the emotional maturity of the room. You are actually helping keep that immaturity alive. Because there's nobody willing to say, hey, why are you so easily offended? Nobody here. It's trying to hurt you, offend you, make you mad. We love you. Like, well, we want to be friends with you, but you got to stop. I love what um, a pastor from Watermark said one time at a church in Dallas. He said, have you ever just went and told somebody what everybody else says about them already? Like, hey, did you know that you're that annoying, um, you know, 
essential oils person. <laughs> and I'm just using one. I'm using a joke here, but like, you know what I mean? Like there are certain people, it's like, if they walk in the room, 30 out of 40 are going, oh no. And they're trying to find their way out. And, but instead of talking to the person, they're actually aiding them in their emotional immaturity by doing whatever it takes to keep them at that same level. And so we are wired. Like you can see, like there's there's moments you walk into a room and there's that person, man, that's just the life of the party. And when they walk in the room, the room lights up. And that's the question I would ask you. When you walk into a room, can you tell that the energy changes? Because if that's true, then that means people are being affected by this living system and it's not in a healthy way. And at the end of the day, it's always going to come back and it's always going to come out, isn't it? You ever been friends with somebody for a while and it's like, why, if you ever asked that question, why didn't anyone ever tell me this? And it's because most people are playing that emotional wiring game and we actually stay immature because we're never, we never love somebody enough to tell them the truth and to help them grow up mature uh, emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And so this is a problem we see all the time. We see it in church. It's the people that say, I hate drama. I just hate drama. Yet you play a part in keeping that drama uh, going in this living system. People who sincerely hate drama are the ones who are going to be authentic and honest and loving and tell the truth to people they care about and say, look, you got to know that when you start doing this, when you start talking this way, when you start saying this, it makes people uncomfortable. It makes people feel like this. You're always negative. Did you know that you're always negative? Every time somebody says something, you have a negative slant. You have a negative paradigm. Did you know that you always make passive-aggressive jokes about stuff that's really not that funny? Like, when we have those authentic conversations, we are communicating to that person, I care enough about your maturity and your emotional well-being to let you know this is not okay. And it's affecting the rest of the room. That's what we have to get to in our own transformation. And what I mean by that, too, is like I'm not just like some of you are sitting here like, yeah, I need to start telling the truth. I need to start being true. I'm going to go tell five people, you know, that they're that person. No, 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 no. What you need to hear today is you need to be the kind of person that can receive that kind of truth. They can be emotionally mature. I'll, I'll normally ask people like, hey, are you in a good emotional place for me to tell you something? Or I'll say this hey, is it okay if I pastor you in this moment? I need to know that I can be really um, transparent, authentic in order to pastor and shepherd you toward healthiness. And what that does is it it tells them, oh, I'm about to hear something that I'm probably not going to like. And that's the question I would have for everybody listening is like, are you that person? Because, yeah, it's easy for all of us to tell somebody else the truth about how they are, but how are we at receiving the truth. You know, it's funny because the people who either leave churches, leave relationships, whatever, it's like, or jobs, like it's it's always funny. It's like, yeah, my last four jobs, I just had really terrible bosses. And it's like, or you know, you've had four jobs in four months. There's only one common denominator and it's not your bosses. We are always the common common denominator out of multiple factors. And so if I'm the common denominator, then I have to ask myself, what is it about me that I need to be aware of? A question that we've even challenged our staff with is like, 
have you ever asked your team or asked people, hey, how, um, how do people receive me? How am I experienced? And that's a, that's a loaded question if you really want to know the answer. It's to say, how do people experience me? Um, so if you're up to that, ask that question this week to, to your family, your friends, somebody. Um, now, here's what's powerful about all of this, because I think some people are trying to disassociate their faith from the local church. But what we forget is that God wired us in such a way. He wired us to be the church together. The Bible says we are the body of Christ. We are actually the physical representation of Jesus. You need to know this. You cannot separate your faith in God and your spiritual maturity with your involvement in the local church. It is impossible. It is not biblical. You cannot tell me I'm good with God because I sit at home and watch Osteen and Furtick every week and um, we'll sip on some grape juice and some crackers and then like we don't do the whole church thing because that's how we get our church i mean i love the lord we read our bible at home we pray at home cool i want you to know that if you are disconnected from the body of christ you are disconnected from christ and that's a hard truth for some of you to hear but you need to hear this because that's how he that was his intention his intention wasn't like, hey, create some disciples over here, but if some of y'all don't want to like be a part of the body of Christ, that's cool. You just follow me in your own way. No, he says, like, I'm creating you to be wired together to accomplish a purpose. In fact, one of Jesus' main prayers before he went to the cross was, Father, let them be one. That doesn't mean one in personality. It doesn't mean one in opinion. Because how many of you know when you get into a room with a lot of people, you're going to have different opinions, backgrounds. I think that's our false idea of peace is that we want to only be around people who think like us, listen to the same music we do, watch the same movies we do. Um, It's only about our own preferences, and that is dangerous because you will never grow in your relationship and transformation of Christ-likeness. Because what you have to come to Christ with already is understand, I'm not who I need to be in Jesus right now. And I need other people to help show me what that looks like. Instead of, I need everybody to, to conform to me. So I think that's, that's a major issue in the church today. Um, our behavior choices affect one another in ways that we are even unaware of. I think there's two key variables I want to talk about for a moment that serve as roots and components. And the first one is emotional maturity, and the second one is anxiety. Emotional maturity, anxiety. We've been talking a little bit about emotional maturity already. But both of those govern our emotional systems. In other words, how how mature I am emotionally and how I handle anxiety. Both of those govern our behaviors and how we respond in these living systems, how we respond in relationships. Nine times out of ten, you can point uh, to a conflict or tension back to those two things. So the higher, I want you to get this, the higher level of emotional maturity, the lower level of chronic anxiety. It's like this. Here's the example. It's like a reservoir. Reservoir. I don't know how if I'm saying that right or wrong, but you know what I'm talking about. A tank. It's like a tank. If you think about a water tank, that represents your emotional maturity. And the water level in that tank represents chronic anxiety. Now, 
the smaller the tank, how many of you know, it doesn't take as much water before it's spilling over in the tank. If you only had a bucket and, and it's a half-gallon bucket and you're trying to pour three gallons of water in it, how many of you know it's going to overflow? That's what most people's emotional maturity looks like. They have the emotional maturity of a half-gallon bucket, um, but the the very demands of life and average relationships requires you to have a much bigger emotional maturity tank. Most of us don't. Why? Because we are driven by feelings and emotions. I've said this before. Emotions are indicators, not drivers. If your emotions are driving the car, then you would get pulled over for a DUI because you would be all over the road. Some of you, you're already in the ditch because your emotions have been driving for far too long. And you can't complain that you've driven your car off into a ditch that there was traffic on the road because you are letting your emotions drive. And so how are these, how are these systems formed? You know, prob- when these problems are produced, um, then what we see are these systems that get, that get formed. And the first way that the system gets formed is in your nuclear family. So think back to your parents, your upbringing, and your home probably looked different, whether you had both parents in the home, whether you had a parent and a step-parent, whether you were uh, raised by a single parent, whether you were raised by grandparents, whether you were adopted. There is a nuclear family that affects who we are, how we relate to other people, and how to survive. So depending on the healthiness of your home, those three things were shaped by what you saw, what you experienced. Maybe you saw conflict in the home as something that was looked at as very, very, um, you, don't, you don't do conflict. Or it, you did anything to avoid it. I've heard people say, well, I've never seen my parents fight. That's not necessarily a good thing if they've done it in a healthy way. Because what you never saw was somebody handle conflict in a healthy way. But then there's the other extreme of like conflict in my house was loud and it was yelling. It was throwing things. And so what do you learn growing up? That conflict is not about trying to come to some sort of resolve. Conflict is about I want other people to know I'm angry and they're going to see it and they're going to know it um, by how I act, how I throw a fit, how loud I am. You put those together in a marriage and look how that, like if you have one person who's like anytime somebody talked louder than a three on the decibel system, that was yelling. Uh, my kids, it's funny, like we'd be like fussing at them or something like, okay, you don't have to yell at me. I'm like, I'm not yelling. This is yelling, right? Anybody ever been there where it's like, you don't even know what yelling is. I grew up around yelling. What I'm doing right now is not yelling, but you're about to see yelling. Like I think that, can you see how that is a combination or a recipe for conflict and anxiety in a home when you have maybe one person who they never raised their voice in the home they grew up in where you had another person where that was just common. People just talk loud. Um, And so those things affect who we are, how we relate to others, and how to survive. Maybe you grew up in conflict, you handled it with hands. You know, like it was constant, you know, like – for some people, conflict is a way to control the other person's behavior. You know, one of the things that I'm always rushing through as a parent is I don't want to discipline my kids to control their behavior. I want to discipline my kids to lead them toward relationship and reconciliation, to lead them toward a right path. Um, 
And so some people view conflict or anxiety as this moment. I have to do whatever it takes to kill the anxiety and kill the conflict, even if that means violence. All of us have a different way that we experienced it in our nuclear family. Um, and so our nuclear family also teaches us a lot about the world. It teaches us, is the world safe or should I be afraid? You know, if, if you were terrified every time you had a parent come home, whether it was an abusive mom, an alcoholic dad, whatever, what that taught you is that's how the world works. And so now I have to be fearful of all my relationships. I have to be afraid of my relationships because that's what I learned in my nuclear family. I hope this is resonating with some people. Um, so we gain from our family a perspective that leaves us more or less. Don't miss this. It leaves us more or less secure or anxious. We either have an experience that says, man, I feel safe and secure. There's a lot of craziness out in the world, but I feel safe in it because I've learned the, the healthy way to navigate through conflict and tension in my life. Or the world is always unsafe. My, even the person you said I do to, you don't trust them. You don't trust that, that they have your best interest at heart. And the moment that they fail you or let you down, you're ready to just stop trust altogether, altogether and leave the relationship. Why? Because that's how you learned to wrestle with conflict, anxiety, and tension. And so all, this is what I like to say is that the nuclear family is the fire in which we forge our level of emotional maturity. It is where it is stoked. It is formed in us and how we are emotionally mature. So as we grow up in our family, we develop some degree of emotional maturity that helps us differentiate ourselves from our parents, right? You ever heard the term separation anxiety? That's the moment when you start dropping your kids off at kids' ministry or at daycare or at babysitters. It's the moment those kids are learning how to play on their own do things on their own. That's why it's called separation anxiety. They have an anxiety about differentiating from their parents. You know, as a kid, when they are still in that weaning stage, everything is, their emotional, mental well-being, everything is dependent upon the parent. And there comes a time when you have to differentiate yourself from your parents sitting there. I mean, the Bible talks about that clearly, especially with marriage, right? For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife. There's a moment where it's like, okay, this was a part of my upbringing. This was a part of my nuclear family, but now I'm learning how to deal with this stuff on my own. And that, and here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. There are people in their 40s that never learned how to differentiate themselves. It's like, well, this is what, this is how my dad was. This is how my mom was. That's just who I am. It's how it was. And so what you are experiencing is this moment where you never allowed yourself to mature past what you experienced in your nuclear family. And it's, this is, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of people in churches. This is why tension and conflict relationship is so hard. This is why we are triggered when it comes to relationships. So we have to learn to become individuals, right? And deal with this stuff on our own. So here's the question when it comes to tension and anxiety that arises. Do we have a thoughtful response or an automatic reaction? When tension arises or conflict arises, do I have a thoughtful response or an automatic reaction. You ever had somebody tell you like, like sometimes, sometimes maybe it's even a joke at your expense of like, yep, you're the angry person. Yep. Don't say, don't say, I mean, it's like, you'll see husbands like, man, please don't, don't say nothing to her. She's going to get really upset, really mad. Like 
that should be a red flag to know that everybody else knows you have an automatic reaction. You're not going to have a thoughtful response. Um, that's an emotional immaturity. Your tank is low. You have a small tank. And so family matters in this situation. Um, here's what's crazy is that God even promised that the behavior of families would affect generations to come. It would either be a blessing or a curse. We are either passing down anger, resentment, bitterness, abuse, all this stuff, or we are passing down wholeness, peace, love, kindness, reconciliation, relationship. That's what we are seeing in our culture and our society. Uh, and if they're not being formed at home, they're being formed by social media and by culture and by technology. Those things are constantly forming us too. So you combine that with if you had a negative or a dysfunctional upbringing combined with the culture that's already toxic and how they deal with relationships and you have a recipe for disaster, which is what we see in a lot of communities now, and especially in the church. Uh, this stuff is what's crept into the church. So God works through generations of family to accomplish his divine purpose. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to work through transformed lives to be a part of a transformed church to be one in the body of Christ. And that requires an emotional maturity for us. So Number one, nuclear family. Number two on how these systems are formed is, is how we see anxiety because anxiety is a blessing and a curse. And I'll tell you why. Here's, here's the definition of anxiety. Anxiety is a response to a threat, whether it's real or perceived. Because like sometimes a threat to you is not a threat to me, right? That there's different levels of anxiety. Um, it's a chemical reaction in our brain. We are wired that way to respond without even thinking about it. That's how that's how anxiety works in our brain. And this is so. This is how anxiety is a blessing. So let's talk about this for a moment because we are wired with anxiety. There's what's called acute anxiety. Acute anxiety is a reaction to a real threat, but the time is limited. In other words, that threat's going to go away. So let me give you a great example. Uh, you react, you respond, and you return to the normal state of mind and body. It's the thing that creates that fight, flee, um, or freeze in us, depending on the threat, right? God designed us this way for survival. In this instance, anxiety can actually save your life. So, uh, my friend, Pastor Dustin Thompson, and I, we were on this trip. We were coming home from Indiana, and we were going through town, and um, I realized that I was in going the wrong way, so I was going to get in the left lane to turn at the next light and turn around and head back the other way. Well, without even thinking about it, I didn't check my mirrors. I didn't look or anything. I just I, I went to get out. I turned my blinker on, went to get over, and, of course, there was a car next to me. I, guys, I literally ran this car off the road. Like, Luckily, there wasn't a lot of traffic around because it would have caused a major accident. But as I go to get over, I see this car. I hear screeching of tires, and they, they, they veer off the road. They go off-road. I mean, they're like – they did like a donut in this parking lot because we were going, I don't know, maybe like 45. And so they're having to, like, get out of the way and – um I actually pull in with them because the whole incident was crazy. It happened in a flash of an eye. 
And that entire moment, man, my heart was beating through my chest. We're sitting there like in this parking lot facing each other in the vehicles and both like my face and the face of the other driver was just sheer panic. Right. And it was this moment of like, what just happened? Like we almost called an accident. Somebody could have been hurt. Somebody could have been killed. And then after a minute or so went by, it was like, all right, we're going to slowly pull out of here. I gave the wave, like, so sorry that I almost killed you and ran you off the road. And there was that moment, right? When you have a moment like that, it's like, man, your whole body has this rush of adrenaline, but what happens? The adrenaline goes down. Your breathing starts to level back out. Everything, your body tends to go back to normal. That is a natural, God-given response so that when you are driving down the road and that deer runs out in front of you, you can swerve to miss. You can slam on the brakes. You can do so. That is an acute anxiety that is God-given to help with your survival. Now, that's the thing is we understand when it is acute anxiety, we know things will go back to normal. But how many of you know there are a lot of people who deal with what's called chronic anxiety? Now, chronic anxiety is the threat is not real and the time is not limited. In other words, it seems like it never goes away. That's how a lot of people respond to anxiety. So God actually wired us in a way that when a threat pops up, our breathing increases, our heart rate increases, oxygen getting into our muscles. Do you realize that when you have one of those moments of acute anxiety that your digestive system shuts down? And it shuts down so that more blood can actually get to our larger muscles to fight the threat. That's crazy, right? Have you ever heard of stories of people like lifting up cars in certain moments um, to rescue somebody or whatever, these crazy stories of survival or, 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 or rescue, and it's normally because of that God-given gift of acute anxiety. But you cannot live in that state long-term. It's actually detrimental to your body and mind, and this is why people who live with chronic anxiety, man, their bodies just tend to shut down because they can't keep being in that constant state, right? And so under chronic anxiety, your brain and body do not function properly. You literally aren't thinking clearly. Anxiety was created for a short-term reaction in order to get you back to normal. Isn't that crazy? So that's how the chemicals in our brain work to, um, that's how the chemicals in our brain make us take things personally as well. That's how we become defensive. That's how we have reactions instead of responses. Why? Because we have always, we've trained ourselves to live in a state of chronic anxiety. This person's against me. They're not for me. I knew this would work out this way. Uh, We don't end up, we we go into relationships with a lot of distrust and fear and, and worry and tension and conflict. We've dealt with it all of our lives. And so we have actually trained ourselves to respond with chronic anxiety in any moment of tension and conflict. My dad left me, my mom left me, so that means in any relationship when things get bad, they're going to leave, so I might as well leave before they do. I might as well switch it up before things get really difficult and I have to have a hard conversation. And I just want you to know that that is detrimental to the health of your soul. That if you don't get a hold of that and don't don't deal with your um, emotional maturity, it becomes a problem. 
Um, and so here's what happens. Instead of being, because what God designed anxiety to do was to help us solve a problem. But when you live with chronic anxiety, instead of solving a problem, we end up bruising and hurting other people. And so this living system, you know, when you start talking about anxiety, um, it's like electricity. It's, it's higher the anxiety, higher the voltage. The world is not safe and secure. We operate in chronic anxiety. And here's the thing. People around us get shocked. And that leads to the third one, which is um, individuality. Like you were created with individual gifts. Um, you are unique. You are diverse. You have distinct gifts. Now, to desire to discover that distinctness is appropriate. However, in a less mature person emotionally, that sinful expression, what it does is it puts yourself at the center and makes yourself the object of desire. So put that in relationship context. Now everything about relationships is to make sure that your feelings are spared, you're not offended, you, your preferences are the preferences that other people go. Your beliefs, everything that you think, if people don't think the way you think, they are demonized and made the enemy. Why? Because now you have put your individual distinctness at the center. Instead of understanding that God made you as an individual, as a part of the whole. It's to add value to the local church, not be the center of the local church. It's why people leave when they don't get the serve position they want. It's why people leave the church when somebody didn't do whatever it was that, that made them the center of the attention. It's because we have confused our giftedness and our distinctness with godness. And we've made ourselves the god of the relationship instead of bringing value and adding the relationship. And so the last one is togetherness. So we talked about this idea of our nuclear family. We've talked about this idea of anxiety, how it's a blessing and a curse. And then we talked about how it affects us as individuals. And now how does it affect us uh, in togetherness? And so this, this force in an unhealthy way, remember we're talking about emotional maturity and anxiety, and the things that trigger us, trigger us. This force actually pushes us to conform. So an unhealthy individual says, um, I'm the person, I'm the center of attention, right? But the flip side to that and togetherness is saying like, I, I need to conform to what everybody else believes, says, and thinks of me. I need to make sure that I please other people so that I can find affirmation. So here's the healthy form of that. If I am emotionally healthy and I understand the gift of togetherness, um, then now I am sensitive to the needs of others and I'm looking to serve them. Isn't that, isn't that what the scripture tells us to do? To seek others' needs, others' needs above our own. That's Bible. To say, man, I seek to love my neighbor as myself. And so when I am healthy emotionally, I understand there's going to be tension, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be things that happen. How do I navigate this in a way that lets that individual know I care for their soul. I care for who they are. Whereas if I'm in an unhealthy situation when it comes to together togetherness, I'm going to agree with them and do whatever, even if it means, even if it's detrimental to their soul or even dangerous to their life. It's why somebody can leave their husband and 
um, for for whatever reason, not even like a good reason, and the same and their same friends champion every decision they make. Why? Because well, that's my friend, and I love them, and I just I just want them to be happy. Well, you're willing to sacrifice truth, encouragement, and actual discipleship for the sake of an emotion. So that's dangerous. And so the same God that called us to diversity also calls us to community. It's both in. And I think that's the tension and problem you see in church today too or in culture is people are either always trying to be just individuals themselves or they're trying to conform to a group not realizing there's gifts and emotional maturity in both that I am an individual with unique gifts, but those unique gifts that God has given me as an individual is to add value to a larger community. That is a picture of the, of the gospel and perfect emotional maturity. And so God teaches a mature love that knows how to care for others without being pressured by the demands or the, the pressure of everybody else expecting you to perform the way they want you to perform. So here's, here's how it looks like unhealthy. We conform to keep others calm, so we compromise. That goes back to what I was saying earlier about like, man, if there's a situation, a conflict, instead of really seeking to get to the root of real peace, we create false peace because we just don't want people to be upset. But the healthy one, the healthy version of this is affirmation, acceptance, and love. It's community. It's the love your neighbor as yourself. So when it affects your ability to do the right thing, it expresses emotional immaturity. And that's how you can know if you're emotionally immature or not. Is like, does this lead to you doing the right thing? Or does it lead you doing your own thing? It's the autocratic versus democratic. Autocratic is the, it's my way or the highway. And democratic is whatever anybody else says. Basically, your life is lived at the expense of yourself and your own health for the sake of other people affirming you and liking you. Both end badly. And that's something you got to get today. Both express a low level of emotional maturity that reacts emotionally in relationships rather than responding thoughtfully from your mature self. So, a uh, uh, a, a, a relationship, a team, a family, or even a church grows susceptible to the anxiety produced by any financial, social, or relational crisis among them in their own lives or in the lives of others around them. You think about anybody who's going through, like most of the time it's like a group of people who feel the weight of the same, the same tension or anxiety. So emotional dependence drives the autocratic leader. Remember, the autocratic leader is the person who says, man, it's my way or the highway. In other words, they find affirmation, love, acceptance, and wholeness from making other people submit to their own preferences and will. That's how they thrive. Now, on the flip side of that, some people thrive from knowing, man, everybody approves of me. Everybody affirms me. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, compromise whoever I need to be so that other people will, will love me and affirm me and say nice things about me. And both of those things 
show a low level of emotional maturity. And all of them are created by some sort of anxiety or tension. I hope this is helping somebody today. Um, Because when we, um, one of those thrives on the affirmation of the submitted and the other thrives on submitting for affirmation. I'm going to say that again. One of those thrives on the affirmation of the submitted and the other thrives on submitting for affirmation. It's the unhealthy way of looking at togetherness. So here's what a living system requires. It requires individualism. If I'm going to be in right relationship with people and be emotionally mature, then I need to understand I have distinct gifts. God created me uniquely. He created me with a certain personality. He created me with a certain uh, lean towards how I how I do things, a certain, you know, uh, whether I'm a, you know, an eight on the Enneagram or a two on the Enneagram, all of those things are unique gifts. But number two, he always, he also created us for togetherness. All of those things he uniquely created me with is to add value to a larger group, my family, my church, my personal community, the circle of people I do life with. Both are equally important to my emotional maturity, to my discipleship, um, and to living a life in harmony and relationship. The third thing, I need to identify the real threat. What is the real threat uh, to my emotional maturity? Why do I feel anxiety or tension? Or why do I feel anxiety or worry in the midst of conflict or tension? Identify what the real threat is. It's not always a person. It's something within us. Um, and then I have to learn, number four, in the, face of, in the face of relational conflict and tension, how do I stay calm? And then last but not least, I respond by doing the right thing. And here's what I want you to get as we get ready to close. When I respond by doing the right thing, that in turn creates healthy individualism and togetherness. In other words, community. When I learn to be a calm presence in the midst of anxiety, because that's what Jesus was. Jesus was a calm presence in the face of anxiety. He demonstrated this kind of life. And I think that's what most of us are missing today. And it has everything to do with the reason why we are so triggered is because we are emotionally immature. And that's tough to admit. I know for for years, that was my problem. I was just having this conversation with my wife about how like, man, when we got married, man, I look back, you know, I was was 25 years old when we got married. And man, I'm going to tell you something. My nuclear family, a lot of my growing up, my experiences, man, it created a very immature, like I, I had to take responsibility for my, own emotional maturity because I was not mature in a lot of ways. And so these things are vital, not only for our transformation into Christ likeness, but they are vital for healthy relationships. Because remember, our healthy horizontal relationships determine our healthy vertical relationship with God. And so I want to end with, with this statement, and then I'll give you three keys to victory. So you need to know that everything that we're talking about today, 
when it comes to being triggered in times of conflict, tension, relationships, it all comes down to emotional maturity. Emotional maturity will determine relational health every time. I'm going to say that again. Emotional maturity will determine relational health every single time. So let me give you three keys to victory for this week's episode. One, identify the threat. Identify the threat. Ask yourself, am I reacting in the moment or am I a non-anxious presence in the face of tension? And then ask yourself, do I tend to lean toward chronic anxiety in my relational and soul health? Like, is there a perceived problem that really isn't there, but I am constantly thinking about it, making it up in my mind, putting thought bubbles on people, trying to place motives on people. Um, And then ask yourself, how deep is your emotional maturity tank? Like, for real, like dive deep into that. Go back and think about your nuclear family. How was that living system responsible for forming your current current um, paradigm in relationships. All of that fits under identify the threat. You've got to wrestle with those things to identify what the real threat is. Number two, key to victory, stay calm. And I know that's bad advice to tell somebody when they're anxious to calm down, right? <laughs> you never tell a person to calm down. But here's the thing. Realizing what triggers you, what the threat is, helps you remember that the person that you are having conflict with is not your enemy. Your false sense of anxiety is. That is our greatest enemy. And so focus on being a non-anxious presence in the face of tension and conflict. How do I get to a place of calmness and I can have a conversation and my intent is reconciliation relationship, not to just be right. And number three, third key to victory Respond by doing the right thing. Respond by doing the right thing. Have the tough conversation with the goal of being understanding and possible reconciliation. Have the tough conversation. Maybe there's a conversation you need to have with somebody right now. Um, The Bible says, don't forget, work hard to live in peace with one another. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He asked a question. Somebody asked him a question and said, how do you become a saint? And he simply responded by doing the next right thing. That's powerful, right? Powerful yet simple yet hard for a lot of us. We tend to focus on everyone else's behavior instead of realizing we are allowing the gravitational and electric current of tension and conflict to pull us into unhealthy behaviors. That means we are allowing them to trigger us and so as you go about your day-to-day maybe you need to take a few minutes wrestle with those keys to victory wrestle with that challenge to say what does my threat level look like how can i stay calm in the midst of tension and conflict and how can i respond by doing the right thing how can i work toward reconciliation relationship because we're always relationships are difficult but they are what God has called us to. He's given us distinct individual gifts and uniqueness, but he's also called us to be a part of a larger body called the body of Christ. You cannot separate the two. So listen, I hope this episode has been helpful. Um, I'm excited as we continue these conversations about soul health and uh, emotional health. Remember, send in your questions, comments to madetowinpodcast.com.
Don't forget to check me out on social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at BPettyGC. You can also find me on Facebook. Um, and uh, just uh, don't forget, we were made to win, and winning starts within.